Hello, and welcome back to Third Eye. In this episode, co-hosts Heather Like and Nick Truxell discuss multilingual learning with Tan Nguyen. Tan is the creator of Tan K. Nguyen and an established authority in the field. They are joined by Katie Miller, the instructional coach for the Spanish Immersion Program at Rochester Public Schools. You, you gotta have an eye. Third Eye Education. Third Eye. Hello, good morning. Well, sawadee and good evening from Bangkok. Oh, I love it. What time is it there? Oh, it's nine o'clock. It's too early. And I have to say, Tan, I've been a huge fan of yours for many years in my EL work. I reference you all the time, and I have to say it's an honor to meet you, even virtually. So, because I am, um, I love your blog. I love following it. I go to it all the time. So, thank you for all your work. Oh, I appreciate it. <laughs> Oh, it's an honor to be here. I'm just a regular teacher trying to figure it out. Oh, I know. And that's why I love you. <laughs> All right. So let's get rolling. So you're in a really interesting spot because it seems that teachers and multilingual learners really end up with this wide range of skills that ends up being more diverse than a typical classroom teacher. And of course, typical classroom teachers have a skill set wider than anyone ever imagines. And that includes, of course, representing and advocating for the needs of an entire population, being able to co-teach, team teach, stay afloat of best practices, navigate WIDA, legal requirements, all sorts of stuff. So if, if there's someone just entering the field, or for that matter, a teacher who's been doing it for 40 years and COVID is getting them ground down, do you have any recommendations for simplifying this complex world of multilingual learners? If you could put all the decades of all the experts out there, from the common denominator, the red thread that runs through everything about language acquisition is comprehension. So if we don't create ways for students to understand what we're saying, the messages that we're sharing, they're not gonna be able to learn. So we're always thinking about output, but that's the fruit. Think about comprehension as the seed that bears the fruit. Just as much as comprehension is important, how can we help them understand the words, find the right words to use in the right sequence, but very close behind that is comprehensible output. I always tell teachers to keep it simple because if you give and load too much, it's just gonna backfire on you. So, you know, some teachers like, I wanna teach 20 vocabulary words, or I wanna teach, you know, the whole history of this before I teach this little story. And, you know, I'm always like, nah, keep it simple. You know, what exactly do you want them to know? Help them learn it and then keep moving on. Just enough, right? Before PSYOP, I used to think, whoa, why is this kid in my room? They can't read, they can't write in English, they don't deserve to be in my room. And I would say that, and I'm like, oh my goodness, I used to be an ESL student, like why am I saying that? Like, then PSYOP came into my life, and the one message was that multilingual students can learn content at grade level. Can either of you define, break down what is PSYOP? It stands for Sheltered Instruction Observation Protocol, which I think is a very fancy term. Basically to me, it's just best practices for English learners. Simple things like building background and comprehensible input and interaction, which I'm a huge believer in. Practice and application, very simple tools that are necessary for English learners. Right. And that just really changed my mind. So we talked about comprehensible input, comprehensible output. Those are the framework of language acquisition. But the heart of language acquisition is understanding and seeing students for what they can do. When teachers approach students 
with a can-do mindset, everything is possible. I want to go back to what you guys were talking about, about PSYOP strategies, and both of you detailed the fact that they're just good strategies for not just ELs, right? So when you're thinking about some of these things that we do in the classroom to support our EL students, could each of you share one or two things that you found are great for ELs that also translate brilliantly into any classroom and help all students learn and how you've seen that? I think my favorite is always upping the amount of talk in your classroom and that interaction because I think a lot of times we get kind of in our like, okay, I got to give, I got to give, I got to give, I got to give all this information and okay, just absorb it or go do this or finish that. And we're not giving kids time to talk and process. I think that piece of interaction and that piece of talk is so important, not only for English learners who are developing that language, but also all of our kids, especially in this age of the digital world where everything is, you know, hands-on, texting, da, da, da. But actually having a conversation is actually really hard for kids. So teaching them those structures and teaching them those protocols to talk about content and academics, I think is highly encouraged for all of our kids. So let me use the improv strategy of saying yes and to Katie. Katie talked about interaction, so let me just back up. Why is interaction so important? As a middle school, high school teacher, I've come to this one truism about teaching. They do not come to school for you. They come to school for each other. So why don't we use that as the framework for instruction? I'm currently a social studies teacher and I have to teach students about, let's say, the Renaissance. There's an article. They're reading one paragraph at a time with each other. They're stopping at the end of the paragraph and they're saying, hey, what did you get from this paragraph? And so they interact when we're working with multilingual students, they can do this in their heritage, in their community language as well. Just because they are learning English, let's have them use their heritage community language to add to that learning. Yes, they'll read in English, but man, they'll be processing and communicating and interacting in Arabic, in Farsi. What's the language in, in Minnesota? Like a lot of your students speak. Very accented English. A lot of hot dish. <laughs> we have a lot of Spanish. That's pretty huge, at least in our Southern Minnesota neck of the woods. In Somali. We have a lot of Somali speakers and Arabic speakers and uh, Mandarin, I think are kind of our highest numbers around here. So those students would be speaking Arabic in Mandarin, Somali, to understand this article about the Renaissance. I always have found that we try to teach too many layers. We know here's the purpose for today's lesson. And then for whatever reason, we're going to make it so we're also testing reading. The purpose had nothing to do with reading and writing, but we're going to go ahead and make that a thing. You know, let's make sure you can struggle with Shakespeare and... So I, I love that. I think that's a fabulous recommendation and, and something that I think we all struggle with at some point in our careers is it's very similar to UDL where it's saying oh, multiple entry points same pathway or same destination same summit multiple paths to get to the same summit I'm gonna yes and both Katie and Tan here for a second it's real right this is this is real education right here but the, the one thing that is so interesting to me about the increasing of interaction that you both were sharing is that a lot of times when we're having say behavior issues right or, or just some structure classroom management struggles a lot of times the the instinct is to pull back on the amount of talk allowed like I want you to sit more and listen more and just be quiet and comply right there is that 
element of like, I want to try to control this and to pull back on that. But in reality, when I see people re-engage, kids re-engage especially, it usually comes through that increased opportunity, maybe structured opportunity, but increased opportunity to have conversations. Do either of you have structures that you really enjoy for building conversations or interactions or classroom uh, functions? So there's a structure called Talk We Talk Right by Nancy Motley from Sightless Education. So she says, we start with talking first. We get kids talking about inventions, which is connected to the Renaissance, right? Then we get them to read about the Renaissance. And as they're reading about the Renaissance, they're talking about the article. And at the end, they're going to be talking one more time before they write something about the Renaissance. For students who are at an intermediate proficiency, we would use something called QSSA. So it's question, sentence starter, signal, share, and then assess. In normal classes, it's question and assess. So it's QA. For some kids, they really need that structure and other kids don't. So providing both and I think is really important. Sometimes providing the structure and then sometimes providing that open discussion. Um, that helps all of our kids in all of our proficiency levels and also kids in general. And the English native English speakers, I should say, our, our native and our heritage Spanish speakers, we learn so much from them. So it's so cool to hear that both types of conversations happening, the kids who have that strong background in Spanish and then the kids that are developing it. So having those structures has been um, super important for our kids. I've found that working in situations where students might feel less comfortable, you know, kindergarten or talking about something difficult at high school, that having familiarity with the structure can fill in some of those gaps that they might otherwise feel confusion on or feel even unsafe. Another structure that I have stolen from Katie, Katie brought so many elementary perspectives that I have now translated into secondary world. And the one structure, which is also, I think, a PSYOP strategy that supports kids so well that I love is just using visuals, even at the secondary. Yes, Google Images is my friend. Some of those really hard concepts, sometimes it's like, I can't explain it, but sometimes a visual does wonders. And visuals to start a conversation I use as well. Like I love throwing up just a really random picture. And that usually will spark a lot of conversation. Like, what do you think is happening here? It could be something totally weird and funny, but I can guarantee you that engages the kids and gets them talking. And sometimes that is just a fun thing. Do you use it like a synectic? Like here's something connected to your learning? Or yeah, or sometimes just as like a, a starter, just putting up a really funny picture and it could be a writing element too. You could just have the kids like start writing like what you think is happening and then share it. It can really spark really fun conversation and it can be a, writing I think is a hard thing to get in in a fun way. And sometimes that is a really fun way to get kids just writing. And you've just connected pictures to interaction. So I know that we're on a, a time limit and I don't want to miss this. Tan, you speak about being a multilingual learner and now being a teacher of multilingual learners. And I don't know how common that is. And I would love to know, having seen both sides, what you wish you saw more of, what you wish you saw less of, what really resonated with you. Would you be able to tell us a little bit about that? I am who I am today because of teachers who have taught me the way they taught me, right? I'm, I'm so grateful for them pouring their love into me when I couldn't speak English to them and they didn't know Vietnamese. And so they just took me in and they made me feel like 
just a safe person. We teach the way we were taught. Part of my teaching practice has been purging some practices that no longer serve. And some of those practices are like having English only signs or policies, because when we basically say, this is the language that we use, your language is not welcome here. And we so close to saying, because your language is not welcome here, you're really, your culture is not welcome here. And your community is not welcome here because language is identity. And when students feel like there are no connections to schools, the dropout rate increases their ability to connect to teachers in our lifelines to students at schools are severed. Something that teachers can do as much as possible is to continue learning, be on Twitter, listening to podcasts, doing things that get them to learn beyond what they were taught. Dr. Maya Angelou said, you do the best until you know better. And when you know better, do better. And so our job is to continue to serve and follow educators because they are opening up their classrooms to you. That's the power of professional learning. You don't have to go to a workshop. You just have to learn from other teachers, other experts using their own books. Two thoughts out of that. One is highly recommend following you on Twitter, your Time K Win, and also fabulous podcast, Teaching MLs. It's on Apple Podcast. I also wanted to mention, I don't think this is, these negative experiences are isolated to ML students. We had Ian Levy on. He has a fabulous book on hip-hop counseling, and he's got a great segment talking about students showing up to school in these sneakers they're really proud of and then having to change out of them. And what does that say? Well, that says that you can't be yourself here. Take a moment, reflect on in what ways are we welcoming students for who they are? In what ways are we guaranteeing they can't be who they are? I find that a connection that I have with Utah is that with your having been an EL student who is now serving that population. So I was dyslexic or I am dyslexic and I then am an English teacher. A lot of times, especially very early, I would say like grades three through six ish, maybe even on the seventh grade to some degree. When I was getting my LD services, there was occasion where I would go to the library, for instance, or I'd be in my classroom with my teacher and I would be picking out a book and them knowing that I'm getting LD services would say, well, you can't read that. I remember distinctly, I was in fifth grade and I had brought Hemingway. It was my brother's copy of Old Man in the Sea. And I remember my teacher pulling it out of my hand and saying, that's too difficult for you. What did that send me as a message? Every single teacher has the power to shape the future of a student in a negative way or in a positive way. We like to finish each of our podcast episodes with In the Blink of Three Eyes, just a, a quick capture of some quick thinking. And we're going to have both Katie and Tan answer each of the questions. So we're going to start with the first question, which is what podcast book show or whatnot has been influencing each of your thinking lately? My favorite book that I've been into this year is Cultivating Genius by Goldie Mohammed. She is fantastic. It is the easiest read that will impact you so much. She's coming on my podcast, so I will make sure I'll send you a note. Carol Salva is wonderful, fantastic. I recommend you look at her, join her podcast, and it is called Boosting Achievement. She has a book as well. She's fantastic. And she's also on Twitter, so you could learn from her. And she works with students with limited interrupted formal education. So we know a lot of students from Afghanistan are coming. This, she would be a lifeline for us. All right, so next question. We really value innovation 
What's one innovation that you've seen recently or would really like to see? The thing that we're really working on here at the elementary school I work at at Gage is working on identities. Really digging into everyone's identity, not only our students, but ourselves. And that has really driven our work this year. For my innovation, it's something that Heather and Katie already talked about, it's collaboration. It's not new, but it doesn't happen as much. If it could happen more, particularly between content teachers and language specialists, or content teachers and learning specialists, the combination of brilliant minds together, it would just make students' lives and your lives as teachers so much more powerful and more effective. I love that so much. We were just talking to our, our EL teacher right before Thanksgiving about how we can maybe restructure some of our EL programming and supports to incorporate some more co-teaching. And, and so I'm just, yes. And Katie will need to collaborate later on the identity thing because that's something that we've been working on with our DE staff and students as well. Our last question today is listeners inspired by today's conversation might want to take action on their learning. What might the first action? I think a very simple action is what you reminded me of, of Tan, was that every kid can do. And if you start with that mindset every day, even after a tough day the day before, that will lead you to your next steps. Let me give you this, let me change it a little bit. When I, right? When I create visuals, students will understand content better, dot, dot, dot. It's always about thinking about what students can do, like students can learn, first of all, and then how can we nurture, create environments where students can learn? Love that. And love talking to you guys we should talk all the time what an absolute pleasure yes it was oh this has been great thank you so much what a great way to start a tuesday morning I like your podcast name, by the way. It's very Buddhist. Third eye. Inner, inner eye. <laughs>